Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for asking. But I've got a bone to pick. Mm-hmm. I am thinking back to when my father was still alive and the many, many emergency room visits and doctor visits that I had to take him to. And um, coming to you was a dream. A dream. But there were a few situations where it wasn't so wonderful. And um, there were some things that certain doctors prescribed for dad that I didn't really agree with, but I did not know how to say it. I didn't know how to say, are you sure this, this is what he needs to do? And how do you do that if you don't agree with a doctor? Well, there are a couple of things in what you're saying that are not unusual or unexpected. One of the things that happens with persons who have dementia is because, let's say, they've lost the ability to communicate clearly what they're feeling or how thing, how what's going on to them doesn't feel right, but they lack the words to explain things to you. This group of people is generally subjected to a lot of unnecessary testing. And unnecessary, I'm going to say this, we call them avoidable hospitalizations and avoidable emergency room visits. So caring for people with dementia is costly because there's a communication problem and because well-meaning family members and other people who are caring for these people want to find something, find out what's happening. and Because we think it's fixable. Right. And as we've talked about before, Dementia should be regarded as a terminal illness, which means there's nothing we're going to be able to do to cure it, to make it necessarily better. You know, we can manage the symptoms, if you will, with our activities and with some of the medications, but there's no cure for it. You know, you've said that before, but when you said it just now, it really hurts to say that. Well... I think that one of the things that is important, when the reason I say that is because this disease is not fixable. And no matter how well-meaning we are, no matter how fantastic the medical facilities are and the communities we live in, we're not going to fix dementia. So one of the things we can fix, though, is we can kind of stabilize their overall health care. And when, we, when I say that, I mean, we sit, we've, research has shown that people with dementia live healthier if we manage the chronic things to their optimal capacity and capability. 
And that means that you have regular visits with your primary care doctor to make assessments and to check on things. The other thing that you have to come to terms with is because we realize and appreciate that this is a terminal illness, that sometimes taking people to the emergency room Mm -hmm. because I don't like the way mama looks, I don't like the way daddy looks or something like that is not probably the best choice to make. So it's good to have a good working relationship with your primary care doctor's office. There's usually a nurse or a nurse practitioner in there who you can speak to to tell them what you're observing, what you're feeling, or what may be disturbing, and let that person communicate with the doctor to advise you about what to do without doing the knee-jerk, I'm taking them to the emergency room, I'm going to call 911. Because what will happen is when you take them to the emergency room, because they can't communicate and you're not communicating, they don't look like they're imminently dying, they're short of breath, or there's not a 911 emergency. When you go to the emergency room, they're going to be sitting there for a very long time. And then very long time in a room with a lot of people that are unfamiliar, in a room where there are probably people that are very ill, is not the best environment for them to be in. So you want to avoid the emergency room. I understand that. I did not want to go. And I felt like I wasn't that, you know, daughter who was sort of the knee-jerk person always going to the emergency room. I always felt like it was my final resort because, or my last resort, I should say, because I did keep um, a good relationship with the new primary care physician, but it just seemed as though dad was going downhill physically, even though I was doing everything. I was keeping up with his medications with his primary care physician, but things just started, you know, falling apart. I guess that's a the, the aging process. He would get very dehydrated. So I was trying to keep him, you know, fluids in him. But it got to the point where he just needed an IV. And, and then sometimes, you know, you get home care and home care won't do the IV. And then you have to go in. So it's almost like you had no choice. Well... And, and your experience was probably a little unique. And to some degree, uh, and I've talked to you about some of these things, I'm kind of like, you have to kind of lower your expectations sometimes. That's so hard to do. Uh, well, uh, but I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. This is a terminal illness. And one of the uh, symptoms or signs of progression of disease is people aren't eating a lot. They're not drinking a lot. They are going to get dehydrated. And then it becomes how much intervention do I want my father or my mother to have for this terminal illness? So if somebody has end-stage cancer, we generally don't want them suffering. So when you start looking at palliative care and hospice, and I know that's a subject for another day, but most people, as they enter that last, they're making their transitions, if you will, they're not eating, they're not drinking. And that's kind of a natural course. So taking somebody to the emergency room to get an IV 
because they're dehydrated, because they're not drinking, because they've lost the ability to do that, is kind of painful, not only for you, but for them as well, because we're poking and prodding and doing other things to them that are uncomfortable. So so can I ask you this? How do you, do you tell the loved one to just, let them go that is so very hard because that was that was what i was getting when i near the end they were like do you really want to do this exactly. why are you putting your father through this right and exactly. they're looking at you like you're crazy yes and that's because and and un, well fairly or unfairly um I think a lot of people in the medical community who are familiar with dementia do recognize it as a terminal illness and um, a process. And there's a process that we all will go through as we make our transition, if you will. And in Europe, for example, in the Netherlands, where they have these dementia villages where people are kept, it's like, oh, they're living so well, they're doing so well. And what do you do when there's an emergency? Well, you know, there's not an emergency. Over there, they told us. And when I viewed um, toward the dementia village, Hagave dementia village, they said, we view death as as much a part of living as any other part of living. Really? Right. So unlike here, we don't have people calling 911. They don't have a lot of people running to the emergency room getting interventions of one sort or another. They accept that death is a natural process and it comes to people with dementia, so they don't do a lot of intervention. So an easier way to put it is they let the natural course of things prevail. They let nature take its course. Yes. So that's, that's, Well, you know, for those of us who want our parents to be here forever, and we're Americans, and we're used to getting what we want for the price that we want, or not the price that we want, as the case may be, we want to live forever. That's that's our socialization. That's our culture. But when you appreciate that this disease is one of degeneration, and one that's not going to get better, and one that has no particular cure or definitive treatment the more merciful thing is to keep them comfortable and not to intervene because part of the natural course of the disease is we lose our ability to recognize thirst we lose our ability to recognize hunger and so we don't eat and that is the natural course of the disease it's like well don't intervene don't do this don't do that you know i've got to do something i've got to do something but to what end so what you've just told me, really, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, it's really life-changing. And it's something that, I guess, our culture, as Americans, we need to be educated and try to learn. You, you can't make someone accept that type of, of I guess, outcome and, and try to be good with it, like you say in the Netherlands. It's a whole societal right education to try to i don't want to say educate us but to try to let us accept it's a different kind of normal and when you appreciate that there's not a whole lot you can do 
comfort begins to be the option. You know, one of the topics we're going to talk about, like, how do you live in the moment? Well, you know, living in the moment is your mother gets up and she recognizes you and calls you by your whole name. If she doesn't recognize you and call you by your whole name for the whole rest of the year, that's a big deal. Yeah. Right? Right. Or that they look up at you and they tell you that they love you and they appreciate you. Now, the rest of the day, they'll give you all kinds of heck. But (laughs) that day, that moment, they love you and they appreciate you. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that when you have a person who has several illnesses aside from the dementia, the optimal thing to do is to make sure that you manage those chronic medical issues so you don't get into a crisis. Okay. But you also accept that this is a disease for which there's no cure. You don't want somebody to fall down and break a hip. You know, that's a that merits a visit to the emergency room. But establish a good working relationship with your primary care office to kind of avoid having to go to the emergency room simply because the emergency room is not the best place for somebody with dementia. Right. And for a non-urgent problem. You know, falling down the stairs and breaking my hip is an urgent reason for me to go to the emergency room. But just because I might not be moving as well, I might not be doing what I normally do, and I'm not sure why, and it's after hours, that's not probably a good use of the emergency room. And I I understand that, and I agree with you on that. But there are some instances when you feel like they are just writing you off and pushing you to the side because your loved one has dementia and they may be feeble and they may be sickly, but not so far gone that some things can't be done. So how can you, in those instances, still advocate for your loved one because they can't communicate themselves and and convince, I mean, try to convince that physician Really take another look at him or her because I know he or she has dementia, but this, I feel, might be fixable. This might be, you know, able to add a little bit to their life, a little bit more to their life, and a little bit more longevity. And, you know, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, doctors in emergency rooms or healthcare providers in emergency rooms are asked to do a lot of things. And one of the things that they're expected to do is to make the best use of their available resources. So if I'm looking at somebody who has a terminal illness who's likely not going to get better, it's not the best use of my hospital's resources to spend a lot of, to waste those resources for lack of a better word for something that's not ever going to get better. You know, somebody with terminal cancer and widely metastatic cancer isn't going to really be served well by having chemotherapy, right? Right, but what if your loved one is admitted? Okay. And not just the emergency room, but they Admitted to a floor. Admitted to a floor. For some treatment. Exactly, And and then when you get in there, they don't treat them as well as they should because that happened to my dad in a few instances. Can you tell me what you mean? Because I don't think I'm understanding. He, um, one of the problems 
when you, you know, have dementia and you don't remember how to move or can't move, you get sedentary and yeah. you can get bed sores. And that's a really big key, right. a really big problem. So, Particularly with somebody who hasn't eaten well and is suffering from malnutrition. Exactly. So they didn't turn him like they should. They didn't move him like they should. Um, they just kept passing him by. And I would stay at the hospital as long as I could, you know, but I can't stay there 24 hours a day. And whenever I would come in, I was like, have you moved him? Have you turned him? Um, and they hadn't. And um, that's a very basic, now that's a little different issue from dementia care because that's basic care for somebody who is not able to move. That's not good nursing care, what you're describing. That's true, but I think because you have dementia and we talk about you cannot speak for yourself, if it's just normal care, you and I are in the hospital, we can speak for ourselves and we can tell that nurse or that um, person that, haven't been turned today can you turn me but a person with dementia can't do that so it's it's things like that and then he would he got a bed sore and then that turned into an infection and that just made it worse so it's things like that it, you feel so helpless because as you see that happening and you see it starting and you say something but what can you and do? that can be kind of tricky too because staff in hospitals can think that you're being a bit pushy right and maybe demanding and they're going to try to avoid you at all costs but what you're describing sounds like um not such good nursing care and certainly if somebody is immobile and unable to move him or herself you know good nursing care demands it doesn't demand but good nursing care requires that somebody be turned every two hours and to keep them from being in the same place for a prolonged period of time. So what you described is really not unique to dementia care, but that sounds like somebody wasn't practicing good nursing care. Mm -hmm. And being an advocate for your loved one, you know, did you turn daddy? Did you do this? Did you do that? Um, I'm probably not the per best person to ask about and stuff like that, but I think that when you do have a relative who has cognitive impairment and they're in the hospital we should make ourselves available to be there when they are there have a sitter or another family member sit with them <clears throat> for precisely those reasons to advocate to make sure that they are eating or that somebody's taking the time to feed them you know people don't necessarily need feeding tubes if they can swallow they can swallow but they can be hand fed slowly Maybe the nursing staff can't do that, but a family member or other friend can come and assist during feeding times when people are in the hospital and take the time to feed them. So when somebody with dementia does enter a healthcare facility for an extended stay, more than a couple of hours in the emergency room, but for maybe two days or five days in the hospital, during waking hours, before they are put to bed, there should be somebody there to sit with them, to help advocate for them, and to make sure that basic things are getting done. I think some things are undone, not because the staff didn't want to do them, but they didn't get around to it. Because they're overworked and they have so many patients. Yeah, well, we, they can. that's true, too. But I think that when you have somebody with dementia who enters a hospital for care, 
that families should prepare to have somebody be with them while they are there. So like we said before, uh, when we talked about it takes a village, um, if your loved one has to be in a facility for an extended period of time, you should almost have like a tag team of you know family members and friends that can sit and sort of be an advocate and be there for your loved one. Excellent, exactly. We have to create and identify our village. Thank you. And we'll talk more next time.